Ever wonder how Mizzou seems to produce quality defensive linemen and NFL backup quarterbacks? How about why former Mizzou wrestlers want to fight Jake Paul? Or are you curious about why Missouri men's basketball losing a 15 seed Norfolk State in the 2012 NCAA tournament wasn't all that bad? Well, I can guarantee two of those three. But if you want the best information on Mizzou football, basketball, and everything else MU, listen to the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast featuring me, Tribune Sports Editor Chris Kwasinski. And me, Tribune Mizzou Athletics Beat Reporter Eric Blum. We'll discuss all things Tigers, including Joe Exotic. Did he play for Mizzou? No, but we did have a dentist in town grace the cover of ESPN the magazine. In all seriousness, we'll break down every game, press conference, and big move from Columbia. We'll give expert analysis on Missouri and explain how each result matters to every MU fan. We may sprinkle in some takes on other things, too. Like how Shakespeare's Pizza is a can't-miss Columbia experience, but their pizza is just good. Maybe third best in town. Yeah, that shouldn't offend anybody. But if you want the premier, unfiltered, direct podcast on Mizzou athletics, subscribe to the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast with new episodes streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms every Thursday. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always is the Tribune's sports editor, Chris Kwasinski. How are you doing, Chris? I am fine on this Thursday. This is a Thursday. We come to you every Thursday here on the show. Where would you like to start the show on this Thursday? Uh, let, let's let's start a little bit just, just by talking about Tennessee, just kind of the gravitas that comes into this game and what it means. Okay. What about the gravitas, exactly? <laughs> the gravitas is that we have two 2-2 two and two teams uh, coming in looking for their first SEC win, and whoever loses this game is going to be scrapping and clawing and hoping for a bowl game, and whoever wins will have the upper hand in getting that bowl game. For sure. Let's dial it back a tiny bit. Uh, I did go to Boston this past weekend. Missouri lost in overtime to Boston College 41-34. to Missouri probably should have won the game. They're 2-2, two and two, and we'll get to kind of a, a lot of just the things surrounding the program, but my biggest takeaway from that game is that if Missouri had even a slightly below average defense, not one that just was, has been terrible consistently, they'd be 4-0 right now. Two seven-point losses on the road, and chances in both of those games, Kentucky and Boston College, to win those games. Plus, Kentucky and Boston College are a combined 8-0. So, 2-2 two and two for this team seems very apropos, yet it seems disappointing because of how they much you think they've already left on the table this season. We're four games in. Yeah, I think the thing that I personally haven't taken that much into account to this year is what you just mentioned, the the Kentucky and Boston College are combined 8-0 this year. And they might be really good teams this year. Maybe not, you know, top of the SEC, good. But like we talked about before in this podcast, Kentucky might be the second best team in this in this SEC division. But right, behind, SEC East, yeah. Yeah, behind Georgia, depending on how Florida looks. And mind you, that boat, uh, Florida boat race Tennessee last week. Right, and, and Florida and Kentucky play this week, and Boston College plays Clemson. So likely, likely to be 8-2 and two after this weekend, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. And now Missouri plays a Tennessee team that kind of sees this as a must-win game. Tennessee's kind of prospects, you know, they, they thought that could be anywhere 4-8 and eight to 8-4, eight and four, and they kind of have Missouri as more of a toss-up game than I think a lot of Missouri fans think it's going to be because both of the offenses look pretty good, both of the defenses look pretty bad. So... Is that how you see this one defended? Like, who gets the ball last? Or where do you kind of see the difference being made here this weekend? Yeah, I, I didn't think the the biggest line of this being a three-point game. Um, I think that can go either way, really. I, I mean, it probably like you said, it com- probably comes down to who has the ball last, uh, who makes that one defensive play, you know, who gets that strip sack or who gets that interception or uh, something like that. But it's it's going to come down to that, to be honest. Uh, it feels like that. I'll, I've been wrong before. I've been wrong a lot. But this one just feels kind of like when you talked about how evenly matched Boston College and, and Mizzou were last week, this week it's a, kind of the same, except maybe Tennessee's a little less better than Boston College when it comes to the terms of how good they are as a team. They're, they have the talent, but 
can they put it together? Right, and I think that that's unfortunately when you when you lose and you lose in the way Missouri has, you tend to focus on the doom and gloom. And so, looking at Boston College and heading into that matchup, and looking at the outlook of Missouri heading into the Tennessee matchup, and those are not equal teams. I think Boston College, you have to say, is better than Tennessee. So it's not fair to say that Missouri necessarily is even with both of them because that's not realistic. Yeah. But, you know, just looking at the more we learn about Missouri and the more, you know, this kind of has to go, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Because remember we were talking before the season of, like, Missouri's going to boat race Tennessee when they come here. Missouri's going to beat them by at least 20. Missouri is going to have their defense figured out by them. Missouri's going to just be in a different production level than Tennessee. And so, yes, Tennessee's two wins are against, uh, I think it's, it's, it's Bowling Green and Tennessee Tech. Yep. Missouri's two wins are against Central Michigan and SEMO. But you look at the way that both of the teams have lost other games, Pittsburgh and somebody else for Tennessee that I can't remember. Florida. Florida, thank you, off the top of my head. And then Missouri, Kentucky, and Boston College. And it just seems like Missouri has done better in defeat. But at the end of the day, that means absolutely nothing. And... I'm not sure where Missouri is going to be correcting this defense, but at the end of the day, that seems like the major storyline of this season so far. Missouri, offensively, great is not good enough to win these games on their own as of right now. Missouri's defense, you got to give them a grade at this point in the season. I don't think it's failing, but it's close, like a D, D minus. If Missouri was at a C minus, D plus, they're 4 0. Yeah. Like, that's crazy to me. And so, Missouri's season of lofty goals, I think it's already on to plan B. Because we both thought it was optimal. They had to be at least 3-1 and one going into October. They're 2-2. Two and two. And you're looking at the progressions around the league. If Missouri wins the games they have left against unranked teams and loses the games they have left against ranked teams, they're 6-6. Six and six. And most Missouri fans would have had 6-6 six and six as a disappointment entering the season. Right. And, and granted, though, when you look at how the season has transpired so far, maybe it's worth taking stock into how perceptions have changed since the beginning of the season. I mean, uh, obviously, when you evaluate a Tennessee, it's a first year coach and everyone says, OK, especially a first year coach that every Missouri fan knows pretty well. But uh, it, it's worth taking stock that you know maybe Kentucky really is that good this year. And maybe it. Maybe Florida maybe becomes a little bit more of a winnable game, especially as you kind of get towards the back end of that 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 schedule. Um, it, it, maybe there's a potential to to get to that seven wins, and it, like it's most likely going to have to be through an upset. But yeah, yeah. W- would you would you agree that if, if Mizzou does get one of those upsets, that the season is considered a success? Then yes and no. So my thought going into the season, Missouri's over under win total to be successful will be seven and a half. And so now that means Missouri is going to have to go six and two the rest of the way, which means if you take Georgia off the table, because I don't think anything has changed about them, it's six and one outside of the Georgia game. Do you think that's realistic? No, I, I, I don't. Um, but now if you drop it just to this point in the season, which expectations can change and depending on what you value as success, that's perfectly fine to do. I think I put it right now at six and a half. You win the games you're supposed to, including this weekend and next and you get one of the games you're not supposed to. And as of right now, Arkansas qualifies as a game you're not supposed to. As of this very moment, you're going on the road in a true road environment to face the number eight team in the country. We can all debate whether we want to say Arkansas is overrated or not, but in terms of the eye test, in terms of the people who vote in the Associated Press poll, they're the number eight team in the country. I would not have put that, them that high. They would have been somewhere in my top 15, though, probably closer to 13, 14, but that's still a legitimate test, and... Arkansas has had that game scheduled for a while. They're probably, I don't want to say they smell blood in the water when it comes to Mizzou right now because Mizzou has proven to be their kryptonite even when they think they have things going that are good, like pretty much how Kentucky was up until last year for Missouri. But as of right now, I think you beat Vanderbilt, South Carolina, North Texas, Tennessee, and get one of Florida, A&M, Arkansas, because I'm taking George off the table, and you win your bowl game, successful year. If you don't win that bowl game, you need at least two from that B column to consider a successful year. That's what I'll say. Okay. But has your perception changed about A&M a little bit, especially seeing how they struggled against Arkansas? No, because I never thought A&M was as good as people thought they were. I always thought I thought Ole Miss might be the second best team in that division to start. Uh, because you look at just when Alabama loses 
in the SEC with Nick Saban. It's always been to, you know, teams where they have a good quarterback. Johnny Manziel, Joe Burrow. Um, how many times has Nick Saban lost in the SEC? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But it, it has not happened often. You look at, I mean, I hate to say Jake Fromm was not on that level. Bo Nix was. Yeah, I guess. Okay. But usually it's to a tremendous quarterback. Tim Tebow, that's another one. Matt Corral, is, I think, is the dark horse Heisman candidate at Ole Miss. I think he is phenomenal. I think he might be the best quarterback in the league. And if it's not him, it's only because it's Bryce Young who's already on Alabama. So you just look at those things and going around the SEC and – Missouri in the landscape of the entire conference right now should not matter. You, at the end of the day, you know, we'll talk more about this about how actually how far Missouri had to overcome, you know, basically during the Drinkwitz era. And a lot of the, I guess, the downside of that is more so. I don't want to say it's showing right now because that's. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about this in Missouri at a, a slightly below average defense, but it's a conversation right now because Missouri is two and two at a part of their schedule where we thought 3-1, and one, if not 4-0, and oh, because of just the strength of schedule. So you, we got, what, it, it's, a, it's a tough comparison, but what else do we have to go on? At the end of the day, yes, it's nice how you recruit players, and I think that's part of the long-term view, but in the short-term view, what's a better indicator of where a program stands than wins and losses? Right, and especially when Tennessee's already looking at this as, as a must-win game. I know your conversation with Adam's coming up, but yeah. I mean, when... when you look at Tennessee considering the, um, this must-win game. Should Mizzou consider this a must-win game? Because right now, it, it absolutely is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, in my scenario of making it a successful year, I'm putting it at, I don't know the right way to put this, but I guess I am taking the assumption Missouri is going to win the games where it is a Vegas line favor. Here against South Carolina, which Shane Beaver hasn't really proved that much, I took Troy in the points this weekend in our pick Taylor Powell, former Missouri quarterback, is now starting for them. I really do think Troy is pretty dang good. Uh, and then you beat, win at Vanderbilt. If you don't win that game, we'll come back and just blow this whole thing up. North Texas has not beaten an FBS team yet, and they're coming here, even though they have two weeks to prepare for Missouri next week, and then Tennessee. So I guess of those four teams Missouri should beat, this is the toughest of the four, I guess is would have to be. But I really think Tennessee, they're, they're, they're okay, but anyone who thinks that they are on a different level than Mizzou I think is mistaken, and a lot of the moxie coming out of Knoxville this week makes it seem like Tennessee's like, okay, this is the game we need to prove ourselves. We see Mizzou kind of down. I don't see that being the case because if Tennessee is going to win this game, it's Mizzou falling on its face, in my opinion. Will Mizzou fall on its face? They've done it so far. They've done it in half the games they have. They've done it against, in both of the opportunities they've had, they fall on their face twice out of two times against Power 5 competition. We'll see if the third time's a charm, I guess. And you, you mentioned my conversation with the Knoxville News Sentinel's Adam Sparks. Let's get into it. He used to cover Vanderbilt. Now he covers Tennessee. Let's find out more about this volunteers team from Adam Sparks. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is the Tennessee football beat reporter for the Knoxville News Sentinel, Adam Sparks. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing real good. How are we doing today? Good. I know, I mean, our listeners might know you've covered Vanderbilt before this. Just, I guess, first question is, how is kind of the UT beat in the early days there compared to uh, being a national at Vanderbilt? Well, I mean, it's 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 pretty different. Uh, I grew up in the state of Tennessee, though, so I kind of knew what I was getting into. But the 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 way that these two schools uh, deal with losing maybe is a little different. Uh, I think Vandy at times accepted it somewhat begrudgingly because it was, you know, that's more of the tradition there, sadly. Um, Tennessee obviously has, has more tradition for winning, so the, the patients are less um, on the Tennessee beat, I think, with the fan base and they aren't handy, which sometimes is a good thing, sometimes is a bad thing. But um, they're being somewhat patient with Josh Hopple in this first year. So, uh, But th- this game is a pretty big one that he needs to win to, to get in the good graces or stay in the good graces of the fan base because if, if they don't win this one, I think, uh, bowl hopes probably are, are are dwindling a little bit. That sounds pretty similar to Mizzou with Eli Drinkwitz. I, mean, I don't think his reputation on the line is a good graces, but being two and two at this time was not expected. And Missouri really is. I mean, if they had an average defense to be four and zero right now instead of uh, two and two, so kind of tell me where expectations lie with Tennessee right now and just how the season's gone so far and where they think it can go. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the beginning of the year, you looked at sort of the toss-up games being uh, Pittsburgh, Pitt, which they'd already lost that one by a touchdown, Pitt, Missouri, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Kentucky. I'd say those five, uh, they needed to win most of those um, to get bowl eligible, whether 0-1 so far in toss-up games against Pitt, Missouri would be the next one. I think I'd maybe even take Ole Miss off of that list now. So that makes this stretch, Missouri this week, South Carolina next week, to sort of uh, define their season to somewhat. I mean, I, I think coming into the year, you could have seen a Tennessee team go 4-8, and eight, maybe 5-7. and seven. You could also have seen a team going 7-5. and five. Um, And that's, that's kind of where they're out at now, where you're not real sure which way this is going to go. I mean, the Missouri game, I think, is a pretty good barometer because from from what I can see, Mizzou can put up a lot of points but can't stop anybody. And Tennessee is trying to transition into a team that can put up a lot of points. They've shown signs of that in Josh Apple's first-year offense. Um, defensively, we don't know yet. Uh, the, I think they're a little better than I expected, but um, still they've only played one SEC game. So, uh, you know, th- this looks like a game that should be in the 30s probably for both teams. And, um, you know, one of these teams is going to come out of this and say, okay, we've got a few things to build on. I think the other one's going to come away and say, where else are we going to get an SEC win if not this one? Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty dead on. Uh, just tell us more about kind of the changes that Josh Heupel has made. I know you haven't been in Knoxville too long, but just going from a, the disaster that was Jeremy Pruitt, and I, I think a lot of people had their eyes on that, is what's the kind of health of the program now under Josh Heupel? I mean, you can't turn it around that quickly, but just what strides have been made this early? Well, it's funny that you say health because that that it's somewhat of an issue that's affecting them right now, just the physical health, the, the injury status. Uh, offensive line was uh, torn apart in the off season with a couple of tackles. Um, jumping into the transfer portal, they had they had dozens of players that players that jumped into the portal. So numbers are low. They have 71 scholarship players plus their super seniors. Um, so they've got some depth issues, mostly on the offensive line. They've had to play two quarterbacks every every game this season for various reasons, but mostly injuries. Um, they've had they have two two good running backs, but they lost their best two running backs in the portal last year from last season. Their their best two now this year have each missed games, and so you, it's kind of different weeks. You get different sort of teams. The the offense is I like the intent. They want to go fast. They want to do what obviously Josh Heupel did there in Missouri as offensive coordinator back in 2016-17, which is go fast, score a lot of points, um, a lot of RPOs. Um, he's got to figure out his quarterback. Uh, he has some good receivers, but they've had drops in, in key situations, and he's got to get his running backs healthy. And this is just going to be an incomplete team. It's going to be an incomplete offense most of this year. Um, they're just trying to figure out how to put the right pieces together. And a lot of that comes down to quarterback, which is still unanswered. I was going to ask you about the quarterbacks. Where did things kind of stand? I, I believe uh, Hendon Booker was recruited by Drinkwitz when he was the OC at NC State and knows him well. But outside of that, where did kind of things stand? Yeah, as far as starter goes, it's basically a two-man race. It's Michigan transfer Joe Milton and Virginia Tech transfer Hendon Hooker. Uh, Milton started the first two games. Hooker started the next two games. From this point, it looks like Hendon Hooker is is their best option. Um, he uh, he played well, very well against an FCS team a couple weeks ago, Tennessee Tech. Uh, played reasonably well against Florida last week, um, and so he he looks like their guy. He's he's more mobile. He can get out of the pocket. He can run, which is especially valuable right now because they're so beat up on the offensive line the quarterback has to be mobile because the, the, any team is going to be, bring pressure and get to the quarterback um, until they get their, their depth issues solved in the offensive line. And I, I don't think they'll probably be able to solve them this year. So Hooker looked like the guy, looked like he may have even won the job long-term against Florida, but then he went down with an injury in the fourth quarter. Milton came in. So at this point, maybe Hooker comes back from injury and he's still your starter. Maybe Milton has to play because Hooker's still still beat up. Um, Milton was actually sitting out because of his own injury. So this is sort of musical chairs right now between two 
two quarterbacks that are trying to get their feet under them, and then also those same two quarterbacks that keep getting injured. So nobody's really snatched the job long term, and this this game may sort of define that. Uh, Hooker, I think, is their best option, but I'm not sure which one which one we're going to see. Milton has one of the strongest arms you're ever going to see, but that's as much a detriment as anything because he has overthrown so many receivers at this point. It's it's sort of become a meme with the Tennessee fan base of the the video of him slapping his his helmet when he's overthrown wide open receivers by ten fifteen yards. Um, they're going to have to hit those whether it's him or Hooker in the game, or they're going to lose pace with uh, with Missouri because I know Missouri's going to score. For sure, just tell us more about uh, kind of the conversations you've had with Josh Heupel about his time in Missouri. I know that that's kind of a prevalent storyline this week, and he went to UCF. I believe he came here from Utah State. So just, just what are the conversations like having like about his time in Missouri? Yeah, I mean, I think Missouri really, Missouri took him from a guy who was fading uh, in in the coaching ranks to a guy that was back in the limelight. Uh, you know, offensive coordinator position anywhere can possibly do that, but especially in the SEC. And obviously, he he parlayed that into a head coaching job at, at, at UCF. Uh, but you know, he was, he was sort of blamed a little bit for some mediocre seasons at Oklahoma as his alma mater where he won a national title as a quarterback. And he sort of went into the wilderness for one year at, at Utah State. And he had to find the right place to sort of fix an offense and put his brand on something. And that's exactly what he did at Missouri. Uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't a perfect two seasons there, um, obviously, but, um, his offenses were really good. Drew Locke was really good. He took an offense the year before that had no identity that was um, statistically the worst in the SEC, and he made them one of the best in the country, J- just in terms of especially how you measure, you know, just scoring offense, fewest tackles for loss allowed in the country, um, just good at the skill positions, good quarterback play, and that sort of elevated him Back to one of the premier coaches, and that's how he got his head coaching job at UCF. Uh, you know, inherited a really good situation there with Scott Frost leaving. Um, had three great years there and got back in the SEC now as a head coach. And so, I mean, it really all kind of the tide turned, I think, in Missouri. If he doesn't, if Barry Odom doesn't give him that chance at Missouri, if he doesn't make the most of it, uh, on the high stage, which is the SEC, he's not a head coach right now, and he's certainly not a head coach in the SEC. So it all, uh, the, the pendulum swung there in uh, in Missouri. Tell us more about Tennessee, kind of defensively. Uh, this could turn into a shootout because you were right earlier that Missouri. I think the best word to describe them defensively right now is shaky, uh, but I guess that implies that Missouri has the ability to stop shaking, and I'm, I'm not sure that's true. Uh, what Tennessee-wise defensively is gives you concern or gives you hope that they could, you know, stop Missouri's offense? Well, I mean, they're, they they played they, they played a little better than I thought they would be. I thought the defense would really struggle. They've shown flashes of being a solid defense. Uh, now that's giving up 41 points to Pitt and giving up 38 to Florida. But you can see quarters and halves and drives where they've, they've looked like a, a unit that could end up being a good defense. I, I like what they're trying to do. They're trying to be a pressure defense. I think under Pruitt in the past, they were a little bit bend-don't-break sort of approach. This is a pressure defense. Uh, if th- They've added a little bit of a pass rush. Um, it's more of what they want to do versus what they can do. And, and what they want to do is make a lot of big plays and be able to complement the up-tempo offense. Um, what they're doing so far is a little bit of that, but they're not quite getting there. I think the Missouri game is again going to be a pretty good barometer because that's a that that's a team that that you can bring pressure against. I, I feel like, um, you know, I mean, the the way that this looks on paper to me is that Missouri's got a high scoring offense. Tennessee potentially has a high scoring offense. Uh, Missouri's struggling on defense and Tennessee may be a little better defensively. Um, you know, if, if they can hold Mizzou's offense down, then that's the way Tennessee wins this game. I, I don't, if you're looking at edge, maybe Tennessee's defense is slightly better than Missouri's, but I think you could make the argument the other way. Um, it, it, it's so hard this early in the season because 
teams have not played many comparable opponents, and they haven't got deep enough into the year to judge things out. I, I think when we look back a month from now, if you're trying to judge where Missouri and Tennessee are, you're probably going to use this game as how you do that. So how do you see this one ended up? Uh, I know the spread right now, I believe, on Fed MGM is 3-4 Missouri. Where would you go, or do you have any sense or what you would say? Um, yeah, it's yeah. right now the line's Missouri by field goal. Um, that sounds about right to me. Um, I've actually – I haven't made her pick, uh, I think, uh, or I haven't made her pick this uh, this week yet. I, I think we have to make a pick by the end of the end of the week. I'll probably go Tennessee by field goal. Um, again, I think the defense may be getting there. If the defense plays a reasonably good game, I, I think uh, I think this is Tennessee by about a field goal. But um, you know they're going to have to slow down that offense. Uh, I, I don't think e- either team has much of a good chance to to stop the other offense. But I'm I'm betting on Tennessee making a couple of plays on defense or in special teams to pull it out. Um, it should be a fun game, that's for sure. For sure. Where can everybody catch up with you, Adam, and read everything from the opponent's perspective this week? Uh, yeah, on Twitter, at Adam Sparks, and uh, online, knoxnews.com. I thought it was Adam Sparks from the Knoxville News Sentinel. Thank you so much for taking time to join us, Adam, and uh, I guess I'll see you on Saturday. You're making your way to Columbia? Uh, I'll be there. Looking forward to it. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare, University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, Zalots and more than a dozen mild to wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban? Well, I don't think it'll be the guy that a lot of people think it will be, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee. Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 last year. He's got a national championship to his name. If Haynes King is the real deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban. Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback. Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Corral at Ole Miss, I think, could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams. Let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant and I interviewed Nick Saban and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors. Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, to Adam for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. Definitely great to catch up with our USA Today Network brethren. And yeah, where do you want to kind of finish the conversation on this whole Tennessee game, Chris? Yeah, let's just, let's go back to that point you talked about before the conversation with Adam, where it's really what what's it going to take to win this game? Because, like I said before, my opinion, this is going to be like a fifty to forty-seven. I think it's going to be a shootout. Both these pheasants aren't that aren't that good, uh, depending on who plays quarterback for Tennessee. Uh, it's it's going to hurt Mizzou's defense either way. Um, uh, Hooker is a good runner. So is Joe Milton. I mean, when you look at how both offenses can attack the respective defenses, I think it's just going to be a high-scoring affair. But the X factor to me comes down to turnovers. And from what I've seen so far, Tennessee doesn't take very good care of the football. No, they don't. 
neither did Kentucky. Missouri still lost that game, though. Uh, however, um, if we're talking about predictions, if Missouri does not figure it out defensively this week, I'm not sure they're going to outside of teams not named Vanderbilt. Like, I'm North Texas, too, but I'm assuming that because they're a below-average Conference USA team, they'll be okay there. But if Missouri cannot find a way to stop Tennessee, who says when South Carolina actually has more time to get their offense installed, they're going to stop them there? And then we're talking about A&M, Florida, Georgia. We're going to wax this team if they can't figure it out. So that's why I'm thinking as of right now, this is a more important game than people realize long term because if Missouri can't figure it out now, are they going to figure it out? I mean, literally, we were a month into the season. The season opener was September 4th against Central Michigan. They've literally now had a month. The game is October 2nd against uh, Tennessee. If, if with a month of adjustments, they can't figure this out, are they going to? And what is the cost of not figuring it out? No, it's it's not having a bowl game this year. That's definitely the cost. It's it's difficult, especially when you look at some of the players that we've highlighted, especially as talking on this show before. I mean, like guys like Chris Abrams Drain, who have been lauded as these athletes who can make plays, who can play at the line of scrimmage, who can play in coverage, who can understand that. Uh, guys like uh, Trajan Jeff Code. I mean, a guy who's supposed to be this big disruptor and that kind of stuff. And, and it, this this could be the week they could get all get all that started. They could show us what we've been hearing about so far, like throughout the back end of camp, but especially going in through that throughout the season and stuff. And uh, but but it, that's but these this is the kind of game where you want your your biggest playmakers to make a big play or two. And, and so far, it's that if that comes down to be the difference of the game like do, do the coaches have faith that they can do that and I, mean, I personally do I mean we've talked about how good Jeff Code is before and that's that's a good guy that can go through an offensive line especially like Tennessee with which I mean I don't want to just kind of pinpoint one everything on one game but I mean if you're struggling with Pitt and giving up 41 points to, to Pitt I mean it's not that great it's not great at all yeah so I'll put you on the spot here Chris final score does Missouri win this game Yes, Missouri wins 45-42. 45-42. I did a preview with uh, one of the fan sites for, I actually don't know, what the Rocky Top Insider, I don't know what the way to describe it. I picked 41-28 Missouri there. That might be a little bit of a wishful thinking, having Missouri win by 13. But if, again, if Missouri cannot figure it out against Tennessee, that changes the outlook on the whole season. I mean, really, what the optimal thinking you and I had coming into this year about Missouri was setting them up for success long term they're not they're off that track now so at the end of the day now everything has to hit one after another after another the rest of the way for missouri to stay on the tracks a loss of tennessee tennessee i don't want to say completely derails their season um because technically they still have a chance to beat a&m at home technically florida comes here and they haven't played well here ever but it is like you you, you have three of the four wheels off the track like essentially yeah, you, you are going like nowhere. You're on a, like a, a path with no return. I guess the best way to right. put it. Like there is no room left for error. You have a you have a little you have a little safety net with the Tennessee game now. If you lose to Tennessee, you have no safety net the rest of the year. And in year three for Drinkwoods, there's going to be a massive overhaul. You know, just it, it, that's why this game. It, it's like essentially it, it's doing your damage control now as opposed to in the offseason where people can get fired yeah and especially when, when but I, personally and if you would ask me this before too it's more so when you talk about this team and hitting the the defcon button and just kind of being full of the, i don't say despair but just just kind of here there we go again we're only going to be a 500 team for the rest of eternity which to to me especially when you have a, a new coach obviously you want to see it improving from year to year but I mean, taking stock in the fact that, you know, the offense has looked pretty good. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you want to talk about, yeah, the struggles that Connor had against uh, Boston College through those two interceptions and um, and the offense's inability to really get it done against Kentucky, especially on that last drive. Uh, take, take those aside. I mean, the offense scored in its last three possessions against Boston College to force overtime, especially Harrison, the big leg, uh, <laughs> Mevis, just... Yeah. Uh, being uh, like probably one of the most solid spots of this team, and and people want to talk about oh he's just a kicker, but I mean like that's that's a huge spot. You can count on that guy from fifty six. That's great. Yeah. So I mean the the players that they have now, and but seeing that improvement there, obviously the, when you have a blight as big as the defense, kind of being 
having that kind of struggle, yeah, that kind of takes away from the other uh, from the other bright spots. But I mean, you're you're seeing it in real time. It's just when when do you put it all together for the defense? Like you mentioned, I mean, when when does when does it all click? And, and does it start with getting in this new recruiting class that Drink has coming in 2022? Like it's a very highly regarded class. It's very highly lauded. A lot of athletes coming in, but is that when? Because if not, that's a long time to wait. Right, and, and then that's going into a bigger topic that I know we wanted to talk about, and it, it's just kind of the state of Missouri's program. And you know, when, when we talk about the state of Missouri's program, things can change on a week-to-week basis. But as of right now, there are some more long-term things that, regardless of how the rest of the season goes, unless you absolutely skyrocket, don't lose again, or don't win again, that kind of are going to stay the same. You know, let's just take a look at recent history here in terms of how bare the cupboard was for when Drink takes over. You can't say the cupboard was bare because when Drink has a year, one year here, and then you go into the next year, the 2021 NFL Draft, and you have five people chosen. Bolton, Gillespie, Borum, Bledsoe, and... Larry Roundtree. Larry Roundtree. How did I forget Roundtree? Uh, but, yes, when you have the, those five, Drink was had a, a good team here. Now you're starting to get into seeing how much depth there was in that cupboard, and there might appear to be less there that we're thinking, like... One of the solutions we've heard of Missouri's defense is, well, why don't they play more linebackers? We've heard directly from Steve Wilkes, the two guys, Devin Nicholson and Blaze Aldridge, who are playing, they don't have anybody else they think can play consistently in that position. You know, you see guys like Chad Bailey and Jamie Petway get in a little bit, but they've proven to not be effective. So the guys that are out there now, the guys that played against Boston College are the guys you're going to see a majority of the rest of the year. Those are the guys that are going to determine how well Mizzou does. Now, going into long term, how you know bare the cupboard was. You know, one of the things that Drinkwitz has hanged absolutely made his reputation on is his ability as a recruiter. And so far, so good. For example, look at Ennis Rakestraw. You know, that was one of the very early signs that Drinkwitz's pitch is working, beating Alabama and Texas, and having that viral video where he was running around the office. That happened, what, six weeks into his tenure? And so getting guys like that consistently is going to be a good thing for the program. Now going back more historically, you know, Drinkwitz's last class was, I think, the highest rated Mizzou's had since 2012. And then going back further than that, this year's supposed to be even more highly rated than that. So if you're Mizzou, Chris, what would you think kind of is the theory and how you approach, you know, knowing the mediocrity that's happened right in front of you how do you sell it to recruits that you know more is here to come if you're pitching to a luther burden who we'll get into in particular what do you think that they're saying to him of like hey come here even though we haven't made an SEC title game since 2014 and the other two teams in your you know top three are might play for a national title this year yeah, I think I think when if you're I mean if you're selling someone like that uh, on this program right now, it, it's definitely that class you have coming in, in 2022. It's that what you're building right now and saying, hey, we've we've got this right here. You know, we we have players that we've turned into NFL draft picks, but we have a uh, a base that we're building on right now. We have a young emerging quarterback in the SEC. We have players to go around with them imagine what we could be with a guy like you kind of thing and and that's and that's the pitch that uh, to me that that's what i would give obviously i'm not a recruiter obviously i'm not coach Drinkwitz, but i mean that that's 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 all i can that's i can see right now you know that i can see the success on the field in in certain terms and but when it comes to the defense that's 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 the blight that just overshadows everything else and and Maybe people ask, maybe recruits ask about that. Maybe that's a kind of conversation that comes up. But I mean, uh, when, when it comes to just that pitch, I mean, you, you're selling yourself as an SEC program that's on the rise. And yeah, m- maybe it doesn't seem like it on paper, but I mean, there are ways that you can point to to say, like, hey, the, it is on the come up. Right. And I agree. And we'll, we'll touch on Luther Burden real quick. So, Luther Burden was committed to Oklahoma, committed the day before the LSU game last year, October 9th. Committed to Oklahoma as one of the best prospects in the country. He's the number six recruit in the country, number two wide receiver out of East St. Louis. Recruit, stayed loyal to Oklahoma until about mid-June, decommitted. It seemed like Missouri was always kind of in on him. Drink is really trying to build a good relationship with that family. 
He released his top three a couple weeks ago of Missouri, Georgia, Alabama. So the teams are number one and two in the country right now and Missouri. And so what one thing that I think the Drinkwitzes might be selling him on in particular is you get to be a Mizzou legend straight away. Like, at the end of the day, I, it, it, it's, it's a great problem to have if you're these programs, but how many blue-chip prospects have Georgia signed in the last decade? Around 100, probably. How many for Alabama? Probably around 125. Like, these programs, you know, and there's a lot of talk about recruiting, you know, locking down the borders of your state. And, you know, for the most part, Georgia has an easier time with that because you have Georgia Tech compared to Alabama with Auburn. But the way Nick Saban recruits is, all right, you probably reviews the film of about a thousand running backs across the nation just to pick his favorite three, and he probably gets most of those favorite three, and they come to Tuscaloosa. Najee Harris, remember where he's where he's from? Oh yeah. Where's he from? Uh, California. Correct. Where is Bryce Young from? Uh, California. Correct. Where was Henry Ruggs from? That I do not know. I don't know either. I was hoping you would. Know. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> where was Jalen Hurts from? That I don't know. He's from the Houston area. So, literally, he goes all over the country to find these players. A lot of Florida and, and Alabama. And that's just the level you recruit at. Now, am I saying Drink has to get there right away? No. Am I saying Drink is going to get there eventually? No. And I don't actually think he's ever going to become Nick Saban because you need to win national titles, which is a whole different conversation before we go here. But to land a Luther Burden would be and Missouri's long-term outlook doesn't does not change with the commitment of one kid when Michael Porter Jr. committed to Mizzou basketball he didn't change the view of the entire program but he gave Konzo such a leg up from the get-go that he took one of the worst power five teams in the country in 2015-16 or sorry in 2016-17 and got them to the NCAA tournament in 2018 like that at the snap of his fingers Luther Burden is that kind of prospect. Luther Burden is someone who can be the biggest recruiter for your program, especially if you develop him right away. It's like we took one of the best guys in the country and we made him on our team and gave him a role right away. That can be you. But especially when you, when you point at who you have coming in right away, I mean, you point to Luther and say, hey, like you come in and join us. Not only are you a legend right away, not only are you playing right away, you know, in, in terms of you talk about Alabama, talking about like, you're going to have to play behind guys like John Mechie first and the, and the and the core that they have there who are probably four or five stars already but and granted those are great players too but you come do you come here you're playing right away you have a guy an emerging quarterback Connor Bazelak you have a, a, a a better recruit than Sam Horn coming in you have Deshaun Woods an interior offensive lineman who's a four-star recruit yeah Tavoris Jones sorry if I mispronounced that name who's a uh, a four-star running back too and this is the 18th best recruiting class in the country right now it's a top 20 I mean when you talk about all the all the SEC schools and who they're getting and the fact that Drinkwitz is right there within the top 20 that's something that you can sell and, and yeah, it's frustrating to point to, to the future and say, like, oh, wait for this. Because no fan wants to wait. You want to win games now. You want to beat Tennessee. You want to beat Florida. You want to beat Texas A&M in your own field and rush the field and have a lot of fun and, and all that stuff. But if you can wait another year to, for these guys to, to figure out what they're what they're getting at, and hey, you have a four-star defensive lineman and safety prospect coming in, two guys that can help right away, that it, it'll pay off. It will pay off. It, it, but when you talk about the present right now, the, the road's a little bumpy, sure, especially after a loss like Boston College. But those are guys who, I don't want to say figured it out easier, but they have an easier time because they're not also not in the SEC. So, so these are the years, by the way, I looked it up, Henry Ruggs from Montgomery, Alabama. Kind of goes against what I, what I uh, wanted to say, but that helps with, you know, Nick also recruits well in his backyard. But so th- this is where depth of recruiting classes, because if you miss on a couple guys, that happens. But this is where depth of recruiting classes comes into play. Like, this, these are the senior, you know, junior years of the classes that, you, that, you know, were, I don't want to say weak under Barry Odom, but, you know, he didn't do a very good job of locking down the borders until towards kind of the end of his tenure. I told you this the other day, Chris, and I, I didn't think that you were kind of shocked by the answer. Of the top 15 kids on 24-7 in Missouri's 2017 class, Missouri landed how many? You said two, right? I said one. Oh. That was Deron Davis, who never played a down at Missouri. He was the number four prospect out of the Kansas City area. He was academically ineligible, went to Hutchinson Community College, and failed out there. 
and that, that happens. But you, I was the only one of the top 15 in your home state that you landed. In 2018, it was two, Daniel Parker Jr. and Dominic Jacinto. Daniel Parker Jr. is helping, and that's a good credit to what Periodum did. Dominic Jacinto now plays at New Mexico State, like or, or New Mexico, excuse me. Um, he transferred out. It just didn't work under Drinkwitz, and that happens too. But that's why you need to load up these guys one after another after another after another. I think Missouri got five of the top 20, like three or four of the top 15 in 2019, but then got a whole trough of them in 2020 and 2021. Now you look at 2022, and this is where maybe the tide turned. This is an important class where, you, where Drinkwitz was the head coach of Missouri for all of their junior year and senior year. You're hearing from the same coaches over and over and over again. Excuse me. To, to kind of, you know, just make that difference. And while, yes, I don't think one kid's opinion, regardless of whether it's Luther Burden or not, is make or break for this program. Luther Burden, which he was committing October 19th, and we'll, Chris and I will both be there live at uh, it's Herbert Hoover, uh, the Boys and Girls Club in St. Louis, where he is committing, not at East St. Louis High School. Uh, it, it, it just, it, it's a sign of, it, it's a good measuring stick for the other thing we talk about. We talk win, wins and losses for short term, Landing a Luther Burden would be an absolute positive, oh my gosh, Drinkwitz is doing it, healthy sign for the for the progress of this program. Not getting him would be a negative, but makes you have to rely on maybe other guys. And yes, you mentioned Isaac Thompson. You, might get, you mentioned Mar- Marquise Gracial. You mentioned uh, Sam Horn, you know, who Drinkwitz is getting. And the 2022 class is loaded. Drinkwitz gets Burden. And I think we're having a completely different conversation of the trajectory of Missouri's program. Especially when he keeps saying it, Drinkwitz, he keeps saying in press conferences in different ways to, hey, like, this isn't an over-the-night overnight change. And, I mean, my favorite quote from this week was that there's no instant oatmeal for a football program, which, I mean, technically there is. You can go buy some. But uh, but, but in reality, he, what he's saying, you know, it's not, it's not an overnight. You can't just put in the microwave and boom, you're done. I mean... Uh, maybe you can do that at Alabama, but that's only because Nick Saban retook an Alabama program in the mid 2000s and and literally flipped it on its side and, and turned it into the juggernaut that you see today. And that, that didn't happen overnight too. I mean, that took um, it took a couple embarrassing losses in his first year. I mean, uh, it, it took a, a, a getting shellacked by Utah of all the yeah, teams in a bowl that. game and and even. Uh, I, believe, I believe Texas A&M too down the road. They got slapped by everybody for a couple of years. Yeah. So, but even Nick Saban had to take his lumps too. And so, and like you mentioned, Coach Drinkwitz isn't Nick Saban. He's not one of, probably the greatest college football coach of all time. But, uh, but you you can talk about what you want to be in uh, and what you need to do to get there. And granted, he hasn't taken any embarrassing losses this year. Obviously, you, when you try to think about. Oh, you're you're two and two, and you should be four and zero. Oh. And Connor said this yesterday, saying we're only two plays away from being four and zero oh this year, which is true. Which is very true, and it's a very really good way of keeping that in perspective. And and credit to that, and credit to Connor to kind of being a guy like that to look at it that way, as opposed to yeah, we're disappointed and we're going to be disappointed. But at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do in the present because in the future, the players are going to come in. You're going to get guys. You get a Luther Burden. That's I mean, that's a guy that you're going to be hanging his jersey up in, in sports bars in, yeah. in three to four years. And with NIL, you can do it right away. Exactly. Actually, you don't have to wait until you're Chase Daniel to, to, to have your jersey <laughs> hanging up at stadium. Seriously. No, it's like, this, 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 like here's your, here's your you know, you're going you're to be lining it up. I think one day Gary Pinkle is going to get his statue outside for Field. You can make it Don Farrell, Gary Pinkle, Luther Burton. I'm not joking. Like, that's, the, like, that's what you sell to this kid. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, and obviously, I think Chase Daniel probably gets a statue for Luther Burton because of, I mean, he's the most influential Tiger of all time, or at least of the last 20 years, it has to be Chase Daniel. But anything else you want to say about the, I mean, I don't want to run over and make this just a, we could have a, an hours long podcast about this subject, but may, and maybe we'll come back to another time because we really just focused on the recruiting side of this. Anything else you want to kind of put a bow on this subject before we get off of here for the week? Yeah, to me, it's when you talk about rebuilding a program and and having it where it is and people even just getting five-star recruits and kind of loading up in the talent that way i just want to point at a, a team like cincinnati i mean a team that that's been on the outside and looking at, at the college football playoff for years uh i, I mean the loss of georgia in the sugar bowl last year that proved they can hang peach with bowl. the big, a peach bowl yeah, excuse peach me bowl. that was that was in atlanta not Orleans. sorry <laughs> but it's uh, such a small detail no it, okay. it is you're good um um but 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 do you look at a program like that that 
has been on the outside looking into the college football playoff and should have been should have had more consideration at the end at the end of the year Mizzou doesn't have that problem. Mizzou has a season like Cincinnati does. They're in the college football playoff. They're solely in the conversation just by being an SEC team. So the the base is there. The base is better. It's much better than a lot of other programs have it in America. Yeah, and and one of the things that I think Missouri can really hang its hat on is where's the competition? To, To the West... Kansas is not competition to the to the north. You got Iowa, Iowa State right there. They, they kind of aren't really after going after a lot of the same guys. To the east, it's Illinois. Missouri's really won a lot of those recruiting battles. And to the south, I would have said until recently that it's not a juggernaut where you really have a swath of the country yourself, but it's Arkansas. And Arkansas is doing well for themselves. And you've seen more battles, kind of even on the in basketball between two schools than you have football wise. Even though there's kind of a built-in rivalry there with Barry Odom. But that's just still a huge swath of the country. Why isn't Mizzou going to Chicago and trying to recruit against Notre Dame? Why isn't Mizzou going up to, you know, Detroit and, you know, trying to get, you know, the kids out of, you know, Michigan and Michigan State's territory? What's wrong with them going to Denver and trying to pick Colorado's kids up? Seriously. What's wrong with them going to Boston? No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Which is weird because when Drink said that, because most of Boston College officers are not from the state of Massachusetts. No. But... That, that was a lot of thinking for years. And now that Drink is starting those paths, you have to lock down the borders first. And Drink seems to be making those inroads in the state. Now, once you do that, how do you take it into a regional operation before you can take it into a, a countrywide operation? Because there really only are three or four schools that have it that way. Notre Dame, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Clemson. Clemson. That's five right there. I mean, I, I would have said like a Florida or... Uh, Michigan, but they're not there. I mean, when it's US, at its, maybe USC. When it's at its peak, USC. It's, yeah. yeah, and that's really – maybe Oregon if we're really being picky just because of – they really do have the best facilities in the country. Um, but that's it. And so if Missouri can make this a regional operation, and I'm including all of Texas in this regional operation, then it's a very healthy sign for the program. And you have a great barometer in 19, 20 days when it comes to Luther Burton. And so that's kind of where I'll put a bow on this for now. And then, yeah, we'll go from there. How about that? We've talked long enough this week. Sounds good. All right. For, for Chris Kwasinski, K-W-I-E-S-C-I-N-S-K-I, and Eric Blum. Can you tell my last name? B-L-U-M. It's a little bit easier, I would think. A little bit. <laughs> All right. For Chris Kwasinski, I've been Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.